Hey guys, this is Anthony here. Uh, today we're going to be talking, uh, this is going to be the Jordan Peterson episode. Uh, first off, we're going to set it, separate it into three parts. So the beginning is going to be a little bit of background, why is he popular? And then we're going to go into his theories and some of, uh, you know, why they're wrong or why they're interesting. And then finally, we're going to enter into like how this applies to politics. What is his politics? What is he trying to do? Um, I'm joined here with my co-host, obviously, Ryan, and we're joined by two special guests. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a, we figured it'd be a little bit of a difficult episode to talk about, so we figured we'd get some help. So one, we have Ben. Uh, he's a writer, and some of his works have been featured in, for example, uh, uh, Current Affairs is one of the publications that have featured him. Uh, and then we also have uh, Hans, who uh, has a YouTube channel where he reviews these really big brain books. So we figured he'd be a perfect fit for the Big Brain Chungus podcast. So uh, say what's up, guys, or say what's up, Ben. How's it going? And uh, say what's up, Hans. Howdy, howdy, everyone. You can call me Hans uh, or Hans, whatever you prefer. I do book reviews on my YouTube channel. You can find me there, Hans of Harkir, and same thing on Twitter. It's good to be here. I really appreciate this. I'm ready to talk about Peterson. Awesome. Good plug. Good plug. And you guys can all plug your uh, whatever stuff, uh, you know, your Instagram profile or whatever you want to do. Facebook page. So your only your only fans page too. A anything. Ooh. Absolutely anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, Ryan, would you like to start off or guys, who is Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. That's, who a, is that's a very good question there, Anthony. Now, Jordan Peterson. Peterson obviously is a um, infamous, I should, I shall say, Canadian clinical psychologist who basically grifted his way into massive success after he uh, figured out how to monetize anti-LGBTQ hysteria. He originally got his fame because he was trying to uh, he arguing with college students, and uh, he thought he was going to be against the Canadian human rights law by refusing to give uh, his college students the, their given pronouns or, you know, the pronouns of their choice. So that upset a lot of people and shot him into popularity uh, as, as one of these, like, uh, quote-unquote free speech warriors. I think also uh, there was a YouTube video, uh, an encounter of uh, uh, that he had with one of these evil SJW warriors, warriors, uh, and it went on YouTube and it was very viral. And uh, that's partially why uh, he got popular. It was definitely YouTube was his platform. I, I would say that his popularity is is not as salient as it used to be. Now we all know that. I don't think it's a secret anymore that he basically went for some drug addiction treatment uh, in Russia, I heard, because he was addicted to benzos. And he's back now, and he's back. Um, he's he just showed up in his daughter's podcast. Now, wh what are your guys' readings on him? Especially, like, wh what do you think accounts for his popularity? Particularly, it gives... He gives the people who listen to him a justifiable worldview that shores up the current system but provides internal singular motivation that can make you feel really good at the time and also make uh, especially disenfranchised young white men or just young men in general feel powerful or give them motivation to succeed in the world that they feel somewhat oppressed in. It's very funny in that he is very strictly anti-SJW, very anti-LGBTQ in terms of a lot of uh, stuff like that, but he's very active in promoting the like individual strength of young men, which he thinks that are currently emasculated by society. 
Yeah, he basically is, uh, I feel like uh, ContraPoints uh, said it really well. Uh, basically, he's the daddy for a bunch of beta male um, um, men who, who didn't have a father figure in their life and they needed someone strong to tell them that, you know, you need to clean your bedroom. Go, go to your room. Clean the dishes. So I, I think that's partially some of his appeal as well. Definitely. I mean, I was I listened to Jordan Peterson quite a lot in the beginning, and I really like some of his self help stuff. I definitely needed someone to tell me to yeah. clean my room. So that's good, actually. That part. I feel like a lot of the the self help stuff. So it's so there's always like a rule about Jordan Peterson. Anytime you ever hear anybody criticize him on YouTube or anything, it always comes on with uh, like a let's say, like, a, a kind of, like, a warranty that, yes, well, we agree that his politics is horrendous, but he has a lot of good self-help stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it feels like that's always at least try to justify about why people like him, but I don't actually think the self-help stuff is what leads to his popularity, at least from my own understanding. I think his anti-SJW stuff was really what people liked about him, that he could articulate a lot of emotional feelings in a very rational way for a lot of angry internet people and make it sound like it was much more sophisticated than it actually was followed by uh i think that that second stuff was like what he wanted to lead people into like yes thank you you've come through the anti-lgbtq door now let me sell you a self-help book you know but it wasn't like he was a major massive self-help uh author success that just happened to speak about anti-lgbtq issues I think part of what you raised there as well is really, uh, really important, too, because he he kind of continues this uh, grift you see on the right of the the phony intellectual trying to sell ideas that are either just like kind of harmless truisms or really, really like diabolical politics wrapped up in this uh, uh, kind of academic jargon that is so dense uh, that you can't really sift through it or make uh, make too much meaning of it. And when you can, there's always like an easy out of rebutting it on the grounds that like, oh, you took it out of context. You didn't actually understand what he was saying, that sort of thing. Um, and Nathan J. Robinson's article on it does a probably a much better job than I can on that front. But he strikes me almost as like the synthesis of the Ben Shapiro, like meme tier facts and logic sort of argument with the the dense impenetrability of like a Slavoj Zizek or something where it's just like nonsense words strung out over 400 pages covering up some pretty heinous ideas. You know, it's funny that you say that about Savoy Zizek and him. Another similarity they have is that they both like Carl Jung as like a intellectual father. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of like, here's a bunch of polyslavic words to confuse the audience and to, to try to sell like really simple what, truisms. What is a poly? What is a poly? It, it just, it that's just a means a word. That's why I use it, because it's a funny way to, you know, to explain what he does. It's basically a word with more than one syllable. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so he uses big words to sound yes, smart. Yes, that's yeah, exactly yeah, why okay. I use that word. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, so the thing about, I mean, he is kind of like in the shadows now. He's not as big as he was, I would say, a couple of years ago. But another thing I find really interesting about him is that there, about his popularity, is that he he's kind of popular. He's kind of popular in two camps. A lot of his followers today are, let's say, yesterday's new atheists. They're the people who were extremely militant atheists who worshipped Sam Harris and thought he was like the rational god. And now they have moved away and started calling themselves, let's say, Christian atheists, which is a very big jump for people who made their living and like identity sold as, you know, I'm a new atheist. Uh, religion is the worst thing that has ever existed. It must be destroyed at all costs. Hey, you know, actually, 
uh, I think Christianity had some good points, and I'm now a new atheist. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Christian atheist, and I think you could see this when Sam Harris and Peterson met in uh, a debate. I don't know if you guys ever watched his first debate with Peterson. They had a lot of arguments with each other. And, and because I, Sam I, Harris? He's like this big intellectual atheist of like where he flirts with the right, correct? Is that a good yeah, idea? yeah, he plays footsie with the right. And, you know, they both of them like occupy... They basically think of them as brands. They're both two brands that sell to the same uh, audience, but they sell like two different uh, products. But they 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 interact with each other because they both both are going after the same market segment. This disaffected, predominantly white, angry internet people who are looking for some way to rationalize the world and make them feel like they're actually fighting the good fight. So you saw us with the first debate with Sam Harris that they were basically fighting each other over like what the meaning of truth is. And I think the underlying thing that it could have been them just fighting over the same. You know, like who's the who's the bigger alpha shad lobster here, and who should which show? I mean, who should be watched? Which show should who should you think is seriously? Because as Peterson has rise, and he by the way he gets the Christians and the militant new atheists into the same tent, while Sam Harris was pretty exclusively, you know, yeah, you can be conservative and be like anti-theist, you know, and it's and it's it's completely fine to and call yourself a liberal while you're at it, and he, and you're completely fine when you do that. But at the same time, you know, Peterson says. No, you can be Christian and conservative and uh, anti-theist, and you can all be under this bigger tent. So, that, I mean, do you, do you guys uh, follow along, or do you have any like insight into that? Oh, uh, absolutely. Specifically in regards to how he pulls these people in, there's this idea, especially among the new atheists, and I was one at some point. I like I read Dawkins and I read Hitchens oh, yeah, and all these guys. Don't worry. And it, yeah, and it was a big. I was part so of, angry. So it, it's a rite of passage for a lot of people on the internet. Is that you have yeah. to go through that door? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and but the thing is, once you have that, it's one thing to be innately skeptical of established religion or any sort of religion, but when you start uh, conflating that to overarching social ideas or concepts, in this case, say like social justice or even like the movement for rights of any particular minority group. Once you start having the same sort of skepticism towards those movements is when you see this huge conflation of, of Christians or even the Christian atheists who are, again, not actively theistic, but they enjoy the safety that hierarchies provide them and they see any sort of uh, endangerment of that, which is almost always from the left as an attack on their being. So they're, they say like, oh, I'm not, you know, a Christian like person, but I like all of say like quote unquote Western culture and all of these lefties are trying to ruin it for me. And that's what, how you have this very interesting alliance of actual Christians and Christian atheists who both feel a common enemy, even though they don't agree on the top dog, they agree with the common sort of set of beliefs and how society should be run. I like they they go ahead then. Oh no, it's, it's all ears. I was just going to say, uh, like, I feel like what they, they're really falling in love with is uh, a word that Jordan Peterson uses a lot is Western civilization. Very, very you know? big. <laughs> very big, you know, Western civilization, which is this code word for, like, you know, just the way America runs, you know, where all the leaders happen to be these uh, white Protestant Anglo-Saxon men from, uh, you know, England. And we like the way this is all set up. This is, oh, actually, in fact, we, we don't just like the way this is set up. It turns out God actually says this is uh, the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, that, that, that there, there's that part, too. So, so it's not that we love Western civilization. It's just that God says, 
this is how it's supposed to be. And if you're atheist, you can't go to this God and say that God says it. So you're just like, ah, uh, this is just better. This is just superior than all the other dirty civilizations, uh, like, the, like the Chinese or something like that. You know, one of our adversaries. One of the oh, things that I think that was interesting in that regard as well was, uh, I, cause I, I also kind of came of age with, with a lot of these same folks, but it was, uh, it was interesting to see that, you know, the first, the first front that this really like took place on, it was like kind of a free speech argument with atheism where it's like, oh, can you, you know, be a, a secular person and hold office in some of these states where there were like very anti first amendment laws on that front. But in order to sustain the movement, they kind of needed to create a new threat and they really ended up coming into alliance with the right in a lot of regards over the issue of Islam because they they posited Islam and like just Muslims generally as this like not even not even uh, problematic, but like an actively nefarious group of people who are somehow unified in opposition to we quote unquote Western ideals, which I to me, it reads the same way when people argue like, you know, Judeo Christian ideals. It's a made up fucking concept. It's, it doesn't really mean anything because you could just as easily say like uh, Judeo Christian Islamic values because it's the same Abrahamic religious tradition. But instead, you know, you're you're deliberately uh, constraining it to this field that happens to coincide with, uh, you know, the white Western world. And, uh, you know, by, by basically inventing a Muslim threat to concepts like free speech, to the idea of like pluralism or secularism, they made very natural, uh, allies on the right as well, even though, you know, somebody like Sam Harris will call himself a liberal, but then he, you know, posits the idea of nuclear genocide as a th totally theoretical, and not at all like definitely recommending it uh, solution to what is in actuality an invented issue of like Islamist uh, extremism on the scale that they're talking about. And yeah. I think I think what you say there is very interesting because it is like after the creation of Islam as the ultimate enemy. And now with the threat of terrorists kind of like receding in the minds of a lot of Americans is not the optimal threat. It's like Sam Harris is like, oh, shit, I need to move into a new griff. Uh, let's go with the anti-SAW stuff and anti-LGBTQ stuff because he's just kind of like walked from just well, I mean, he really has just started uh, basically, hey, everybody, you you agree that you're, you know, your parents is Christianity. It's awful. It's stupid. The pastors know what the fuck he's talking about. There's a lot of irrational things for what they believe. And then he's like, OK, we all agree with that. Now let's stop criticizing that. Let's just now all focus on criticizing Islam endlessly for 10 years. And yep. now because that's not like it's not really there anymore. Nobody's really calling him up to go talk endlessly. It's starting to become people start to recognize he's a little bit bigoted as being a little bit bigoted to, to his portrayal of Islam, which like Edward Said likes to make fun of because it's like getting a treating every single Muslim as if it's a single person that has one goal and that one goal is there's nothing else happening in the Middle East other Jihad. than them just sitting down and thinking, How am I gonna fly planes into buildings? And that's like that's like the only thought that happens over there. There's no poetry, yes, and, there's no art, there's no nothing. Yeah. And we do have to take a break one a moment just to say that uh, we we should probably tell you that we do receive large amounts of our funding from the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran. That, 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 is, true. that we, is true. We we promise you, it does, like Hillary Clinton said, you know, I don't change my opinion based on who gives me money. You know, it just, but I just felt like that was important to say. Yes, yes, we, yes. Go, go ahead. That we anyway. should just, we should disclose our foreign fundings. But <laughs> yeah. but 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 it's basically, you know, after that dead horse, he couldn't ride that dead horse anymore. It's like, okay, what's the next thing I can do? He's like, oh, I can be really anti-LGBTQ. And that kind of also morphed, morphed into, I mean, some of Harris's more recent work, it's even more terrifying because 
he's kind of moved into a kind of a biological like determinism this kind of like race IQ crap which is very very scary stuff and you know and that's like his new segment and even Peterson in a lot of his work kind of hints at this kind of too that he's trying mm-hmm. to basically justify why the current status quo works he doesn't go so far to say it's race but he does like put all the bread uh, crumbs there and says you can make that conclusion if you want but I'm not going to say it because I want to I want to be able to go on Bill Maher's show Harris also Sorry, um, uh, Harris also tried and failed to do the self-help thing as well. Oh, really? He had, some, he had some shit where he he published a book about um, it was like meditation and spirituality without religion. Uh, he, no, he's still pushing that hard. He's got a, oh, he an is? app and everything. It's paid for. Yeah, yeah. He's still going strong with that. Respect the grift. Respect. <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna get the yoga moms to hate Muslims too. Like, let's yeah, he's just, like the dark. He's like the shadow version of Marianne Williamson, mm. although she's she's <laughs> than either of these guys. All respect to Marianne Williamson, fantastic person, just just incredible. But um, yeah, I never made that parallel. That's that's dynamite. Mm. So, anyways, so uh, I feel like so let's uh, try to stay on task. So Jordan Peterson, um, so he was uh, the background. He was uh, basically questioning these SJWs. We've we've all seen a video one one or two videos of like a purple haired girl screaming at someone about like you know being misgendered or something like that, or saying someone is racist uh, or something like that. And uh, basically, Jordan Peterson is the knight on shining armor with a long flowing hair and you know the jesus circle around his head and he says i will not let you poison our western civilization with this no good crap and uh you know he defended uh canadians all canadians of that very very draconian law i don't even know oh yeah just to talk what, about the law sorry yeah. it just he got me it got me hard the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Since very his law, i get really excited yeah so, that was his whole thing was this canadian law that's going to be pushed through it's going to uh, they're going to come in your room they're going to abduct you put black bag you like fbi is going to come i mean whatever canadian secret service is going to come through the moose. window it's the moose. It's, yeah the, the, the right pushes <laughs> into the fucking yeah. dorm rooms they're going to br- bust through your door grab you they're going to be like uh you know what's your gender identity and if you give the wrong answer they're gonna whisk you away to the gulags and and it's very infuriating because what basically happened in canada was something that was extremely sensible they basically were gonna reinterpret their so they were just gonna extend their existing human right framework for looking at like for the discrimination so, so um, Ryan, you just cut out. against genders. Oh, sorry. Repeat so what I was trying said. to say, yeah, I was trying to say that all that Canadian law did was it, it included within the existing human rights frameworks of discrimination. Okay, it, it it included gender as a category as things you cannot discriminate against. So they already had a bunch of like you can't discriminate against people for their you know religion, for their race, for their age, for their sex. Like okay, let's also include gender. That's all it was doing. You know, it didn't force anybody to do pronouns or anything like that, but it just made you, but you couldn't discriminate on the base of somebody's uh, pronoun. You couldn't say, I don't like people who have these pronouns, F them, you know, which is very sensible. That's, that's, that's an extremely sensible thing to do, but obviously he needed to act as if the government was going to infringe upon his freedom of speech, which that was never the case. 
I love how warped this worldview is too. That like this is the human rights issue in Canada. They they like oh this is where we stop fascism. Not the fact that like the RCMP is uh, cracking down on Indigenous activists trying to prevent drilling. Not that like Indigenous women in Western Canada are like being abducted and murdered or anything like that. No, it's the fact that. I'm going to make a bad legal argument about a very innocuous law and extend that to like somehow be a threat to a an invented collective Western Christian civilization. Well, you see what he said is so is so true, and it's it's kind of like the same people who focus on what they call refugees, which is extremely racist, a way of portraying uh, people who are fleeing from violence in the, in the Middle East into Europe as refugees because oh they're coming here and they're doing all these you know sexual assaults and everything but at the same time they completely ignore the very real sexual assaults that do happen in college campuses and dorms and say no 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 uh, that case is completely fake like you know and, and it, it, it's all it's women are lying they're all lying yeah yeah, yeah. basically <laughs> like because like it's, like tri- it's a tribal yeah. thing really it's like when we do it or it happens to us you know when we do it is completely fine and it's part of the thing but as soon as it happens by somebody else it, it must be stopped it's like all these QAnon followers who are really angry about child trafficking but doing nothing about actual child trafficking and just fi- spending all their time fighting fictional child trafficking that isn't even happening oh yeah you know, it's it's and, it, it, well and the other thing that they do is they conflate like these events that happen as being like uh, basically associated with race or religion or something like that like we saw that a lot uh i forget if it was 2016 or 2015 around the uh attacks around new year in cologne germany there mm-hmm. was this massive outcry on the right that this is somehow like a unique symptom of the refugee problem not a symptom of like large crowds of people consuming alcohol doing shitty things because rape culture is a problem it's like the cognitive dissonance there is insane i i i don't even know really fully understand how to wrap my brain around it sometimes. I, I really think it's tribalism because I think, yeah, it, exactly. It's like, they, they even if it's something is just a social issue, they would rather see it through a lens of race because it, it kind of justifies their anger a little bit. It makes them understand it a little bit more, and that's a lot of the problem. And, you know, the thing about Peterson is that, to me, he really falls into, like, what Hume talks about, where humans get emotionally, get an emotional response to something that they find contradicts their uh, identity or belief and instead of recognizing that they're just having an emotional response because it's different they instead try to rationalize it so you know to to make it so what peterson does is he rationalizes a lot of his followers emotional responses to you know to being confronted with hey look there are other people that have different ideas of gender like how dare you you know, how dare you do that? So they try to just build up this kind of structure to give them a vehicle to write the criticism into. Mm, and uh, you mentioned David Hume. Yeah. Uh, who is Hume? Who Who is this guy? Because Jordan Peterson references Hume he or, does, but, or yeah. Young very much. Could we, could, is there a brief little summary? Like they're just philosophers. Like uh, who, who would like to describe who they are real quick? <laughs> well, you know, I think this is a great segue into the theory Part, which is the second segment of our uh, talk about about uh, Peterson. The nice thing about um, our two guests here is that they also agree to endure lots of pain by doing re- helping us shift the burden of the research uh, to uh, tackle this magnus opus, uh, this leviathan of a titan of intellectual right. So well, we'll get into... Life <laughs> can't be about happiness. That's not a legitimate goal. So <laughs> this is really just embracing Peterson in the fullest. Like, you That's- have to... 
you have to be a little bit masochistic. Yeah, I exist to suffer. Yeah, Hume, Hume is just a he's just a really important philosopher, and he helped a lot of us understand uh, how humans be, human behavior. Uh, I, I almost feel like Jordan Peterson's job is like take these atheists who are used to questioning like authority and how things work, and it's like uh, you know trying to let them know like but they're like okay, I hate Christianity, but I still have these thoughts that like I'm somehow better than these people just by the way I look or because of like how I was born. So like, can you justify that? Can you give me yes, like, yes, some, yes, some type yes. of pathway you're, you're to up, like to up. be like okay, I hate Christianity and I'm questioning these things, but now I'm starting to question all this economic stuff and i'm getting a little uncomfortable because you know i'm white and i'm middle class and oh man i don't like these things oh god god says you know these things are actually this is how the world's supposed to be so yeah. like the world was supposed to be christianity that's fake obviously but now we're doing this own other like oh this is how the world's just supposed to be you know just lots of poor black people in america you know there's no real reason for it it's just you know maybe they're just not as hard working uh, i'm saying that's what they maybe they're implying by the way yeah and, you know, I mean, the, so the way we did the research on this segment, I would say, is that uh, I uh, suffered through his lectures of Maps of Meaning. I also <laughs> read a bunch of psychologists who dissected his book, uh, uh, his his book, 12 Rules of Life. I so And I also watched the Slavoj Zizek and Peterson interview. And that's how I kind of formulated my opinions. But obviously, um, that was already too painful. So I, I invited Talent here because he does book reviews on YouTube. And he looked into more, you know, 12 rules of life. And he actually did a really good review on it on his channel. I suggest everybody listens to this, try uh, try going there. But I, I just would like to sum out, summarize, like, my, before we get into the discussion, just to give you guys, like, what what I saw about his work and what, what did I think was appealing about it. So for me, especially in the 12, uh, sorry, Maps of Meaning, he basically tries to justify hierarchy. That's, like, one of his essential things. And the way he justifies hierarchy is he he... he calls into a mathematical, he sums into being a mathematical equation called the Pareto distribution, which basically says in any society, 1% of the population is going to be the best at everything, and 90% are going to be betas and not succeed, you know, and it, it, it would be unfair for anybody to go and criticize the alphas for being alpha, and you shouldn't do that. Instead, as a beta, you should just focus on your own life. So he says that hierarchy is a completely normal thing and it's natural meaning it's almost biological it's going to happen no matter what you do and it's based on competence and i think that's a really important thing and uh he basically says so the people get on the very top of the hierarchy because they're the smartest people in the room not because of privilege not because of race not because of religion you know it's completely based on competence in this ruthless uh capitalist society now that's at face what he says but um before I get my guests in, I do want to say that there is a secret undertone to his conversation that a lot of people don't really pick up. He kind of says, and he kind of says this if you watch the Sam Harris debate, where they argue about truth a lot, and you see this a lot in, this, in the Zizak one, is that there are just things that are bigger truths, and sometimes smaller truths have to give leeway to bigger truths, meaning that, yes, everything I'm saying, even though there's no factual empirical data that could defend anything I'm saying, you need to just pretend like I'm right. He basically argues that God was destroyed in the 1750s by Nietzsche. So now we need to create a new system. And then the society went to an empirical scientific reality where everything has to justify by science. He says that, yes, if you look at the hard science of the world, you will realize that everything I'm saying is kind of bullshit. Okay. But, but 
we need to act as if everything I'm saying is true because the alternative is much more scary. The alternative chaos. is chaos. chaos. The exactly. dragon of chaos. The dragon of chaos. And we need to make sure that dragon of chaos doesn't come in and destroy everything. So, I'll, and the last thing, I'd like to give one allegory I'll, before I'll, I end I'll, this. I'll, I want yeah. to make a joke of like, it's almost yeah. like the king, like, you know, telling the peasants, like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, if I'm not king, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gifted this by God. He said it should be this way. And if it's not like this, you know, God will get angry and uh, we'll have chaos. Like, uh, no, th you know, that's exactly what he's saying. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's the allegory like I like to use of imagine you go to a classroom and you're very thirsty and the teacher is holding a bottle and you go to the teacher and an uh, empty bottle and you go to the teacher and you're like, could I have some water? He gives you an empty bottle and he's like, this is empty. He slaps you and he says, no, it's not. It's filled. Like, but I can see that it's empty. There's no empirical data to prove, professor, that the bottle is empty. He still slaps you and says, say it's full or you'll get slapped because, you know, because there is no water. And I would rather make up the idea that water exists in the bottle because at least that way you can pretend to be thirsty. And that's basically a summation of his philosophy at life is that even though God doesn't exist, let's create God. Even though there's no real evidence that competence is based on Anything else, we need to believe in this because if we don't, we're going to surrender to chaos. So that's kind of what my summation of his work is. He even goes further. <laughs> like I feel like he almost implies like like because you believe in God, you're actually smarter than a normal person. Well, that's why they call themselves creation atheists. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, you, and that's funny too because it's like I'm an atheist, so I'm already smarter than everyone in America. But I'm a Christian atheist, so I'm even. <laughs> Bigger brain. I'm a double uh, special boy. Yeah, I'm a double double <laughs> snowflake. I, my snow, my snowflake is so unique. It's got so many different shapes on it. That um, yeah, Christian Christian atheism. So there you go. Yeah, That's all you need. But this is why I think a lot of criticism of his stuff on his facts is just going to get you nowhere. Because he's trying to sell a bigger truth, which is like, yeah, I could be wrong. Because you know, I spent a lot of time looking up everything he said, and even psychologists would tell you that a lot of the uh, people who look to his actual scientific work will say a lot of his evidence is completely flimsy and it's not even citing all the work he wants correctly. He's just making up stuff as it goes along. And he uses very vague language. Very yeah. vague language to just like he, he uses words like chaos. Like what is chaos? like chaos is such a like what the state That's, of yeah. things not like following order. I like it's just kind of like a, a mumbo jumbo clouds kind of term. And he's like, oh. you don't understand. Like, this is a real science term that I prove with facts, logic, and reason. Yeah, you, you guys, you guys hit it on the head really well in terms of how he sells sort of an extremely strong ideology of how the world and the universe works with not a lot of, uh, say, empirical evidence backing, specifically as a lifestyle brand. And that's something that's very common with, I would say, with conservative commentators. But Peterson probably does it the best in that his in his worldview, he gives you tools for life that shape you into a certain way of thinking that aligns with his political values without ever telling you what those values are out and out. Sometimes you'll know what he's against, but you'll he'll never say that what exactly he's for in a political sense. And that's very, I would say, snake oil salesman-y like, but at the same time, it's a remarkable way of uh, political engineering that you can get an entire people to buy into an ideology without them ever even knowing. That's a big part of his brand is that in his book, 12 Rules for Life, he specifically says that he doesn't have an ideology. And I think we all know if someone says that, they're full of shit. Yeah. But, the, but the fact that so many people who have prescribed his views think they're apolitical is very <laughs> interesting because they... Like, I wanted to say this one little anecdote that I think, you know, kind of goes along with your point. 
is uh, Jordan Peterson was arguing with a woman on the news. I can't remember. Uh, this was a pretty popular occurrence, though. Uh, and I think the woman said, like, you know, what about, you know, uh, uh, women make less than men and there aren't as many uh, women CEOs or women in leadership positions? Like, like, what do you say about that? And Jordan Peterson's response to that is, well, women have genetic differences from men. And it's like, you know, and she responds to him saying, like, you know, you're sexist or like, you know, like because she's arguing against what he was implying. And he's like, I never said that. No, I was just, I just merely stated there was biological differences between men and women. What are you talking about? You know, the uh, oh, you going to deny fact of biological differences from men and women? Oh, you're no better than those social justice warriors, even it, though she she was arguing against what he applied because, uh, you know, what uh, what are you how if, if you in response say like, well, women make less than men in response to that you say, well, there are genetic differences that between men and women. It's like. Uh, what are you saying? Like, what, you just decided to, like, scream out factoids? Like, oh, well, water looks blue because of the atmosphere. Thank you, sir. We're, you know, talking about your court case right now. You're about to lose your kids. Please stay on topic. So, please, <laughs> someone else jump in. <laughs> it's no, interesting but you that you, uh... Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, Ben. Um, It's interesting you brought that up because one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading uh, 12 Rules for Life is the, the closest book that I could, like, compare it to, I don't know if you guys have read it, is... um. Uh, it's uh, The Curmudgeon's Guide for Getting Ahead by Charles Murray, notable phrenologist and race scientist at American Enterprise Institute. Um, just an abjectly awful human being. But He's pretty it's very, bad. It's very similar in the sense that he will employ this kind of like scientism where they're hiding behind the veneer of academic knowledge production to just kind of repackage biases that they can apply for a particular end. So in... Murray's case, I think he's he's much more of like a, uh, you know, an old school pre-internet type of conservative uh, with a lot of like weird uh, ideas about like IQ and race, that sort of thing. But it comports very, very closely to what you're talking about from the BBC4 interview where, where like every time it's brought up that, uh, you know, oh, I'm not sexist. This is what I'm actually saying. It's like it's it's the fact that they're able to hide behind the the vagueness of it to. Uh, enable their supporters to kind of like create this sort of easy defense against critics of the idea and still retain the original meaning that they're trying to get across, which does include a lot of biases. And in that sense, they're almost exploiting like this, the very like nebulous way that knowledge is produced in the social sciences as a means of just kind of dressing up old school racism or sexism and uh, giving it to a whole new generation who, if you called it racism or sexism, may have not been inclined to accept it at first, but uh, embrace it with open arms when you talk about the feminine chaos dragon coming to uh, prevent them from ever getting ahead in life. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's that's really strong, especially, specifically how like, he responds to questions either in the interview or during debates, where, like you guys said, where he provides a sort of simple scientific truism that on its face is true, but in the context of the situation, it leads you to think that the only thing that he can be describing is something awful it's like when we it's like when if he would say women like make less than men and then you and he's like oh biological differences the implication the only implication that makes sense there is that women are like genetically inferior in some way to men and that's why they have it but because he didn't out and out say that his audience can believe that but at the same time say that that's not what he meant it's the sort of like intellectual doublespeak that's and used he, by a lot of people 
you know, yeah. and you know what's so deceptive about what they do is that obviously that's a very logical inference to make that yeah he is making that inference that women are inherently inferior but at the same time his followers know he's making that inference but they also play the game of like no i don't give a shit if that's not the truth i'm gonna pretend like he isn't because of the sake of this argument and because i don't give a fuck about the truth you know that they're willing to just lie simply that he's not making that inference to to score cheap political points in a single debate of course yeah and then um yeah Absolutely. And this is this goes into his overall like arcing ideology as well. So when I force myself to read 12 rules for life, I'm going to just list them really quickly for the yeah, audience yeah. so that you don't have to suffer and read the whole thing just to get the idea. So rule one, uh, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Three, befriend the people who want the best for you. Four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Five, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Whoa, Six, that one yeah, was not yeah, related to the that, other ones. Yeah, that, that one wasn't like the other. So this 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 <laughs> this happens please. twice. No, I uh, know you can keep going. Sorry, it's just I know yeah. that was coming up where it's like, oh, those are all really not. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. be friends yeah, with yeah, people yeah, who respect no, you. Great. And then he's right. like, also the Jews control the world or something. You know, yeah. it's like, whoa. It's like, <laughs> make sure you beat your kids. Like, yeah. that's just. <laughs> Like, if your kid does something you don't like, you have to hit them. Not because you want violence, but because it's the only way to prevent them from going into this chaos. Transgender SJW. This is like when Slavoj asked him, uh, does a dad get his place in the family hierarchy because of competence or because the kids have to listen to him? You know, like, come on. Yeah, there's and then so moving through like the rest of them real quick. Seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Eight, tell the truth or at least don't. Six. Six. Uh, six, Oh, yeah, of course. Six was set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. We'll get back to that in a second. It's pretty nefarious. It's a juicy one. It's very juicy. He like blocks them too. Like five. He's like like giving you all self-help. And then like right in the middle, he's like, here's the meat of like the politics. Like, okay, shut shut the fuck up and stay at home. Yeah, yeah, that's... yeah. Shut the that... fuck up. I just do only work hard. Do you have a stain on your carpet? Why are you out protesting? You should be like stain treating your carpet. Like you're crazy. How dare you, you social justice warriors? Yeah, it's also like that joke of like you know, huh? You criticize capitalism, yet somehow you're a part of it. Hmm. Curious. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. You criticize society, point, yet you participate. USA logic. Yeah. That's but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You can continue. So six, seven. Six, seven, and then eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Nine, assume that someone you are listening to knows something you don't. Ten, be precise in your speech. I hope I wish Peterson would follow his own rules. Uh, <laughs> Eleven, don't bother children when they're skateboarding. And twelve, pet a cat when you encounter one in the street. So all of them, uh, the general rule for most of them. Is all that they're are so nice, except for like the middle like two. two. Just, yeah, like, the middle two. Like, like, like red flags, like, like right off the bat, I'm like, I'm being manipulated right now. That's what my let, signals are telling me. Let's dig into those two specifically. We can talk about the rest, like uh, using self-help as, an, as a way of uh, providing conservative politics as a chaser. But those are two super important ones. The first one is just about how his hierarchy is so ingrained inside of him that it, it's, it's important so to maintain that. Uh, number five, which is... Don't let your children do anything that makes you dislike them, which essentially says you have to be a, a perfect authoritarian over your children's lives. That means like if I have a kid and he likes baseball and I hate baseball, I think it's boring as hell. I better not let him play because that'll make me hate him because I would have to go su- like watch his games because I'm a supportive father. So it well, almost that's a that's a that's a pretty fair point, though. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Or, games. Or, or let's <laughs> mention the one he's really talking about. Like, maybe your child feels like they like wearing women's clothing and they're men. Like, oh, man, I really don't like that. I'm going to have to crack the whip. You have to be a man. It's like, okay, perfect. Like, I'm giving you permission to hate your children to enforce. I didn't even pick that up. That's a great point. I didn't even that, think about that. I think that's right what he's saying. Bat. That's right off the bat. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, your parents that's are allowed to. You know, crack the whip and make sure, like, stay in line. Don't you dare, you know, don't fall to this socialism or transgender bullcrap. It's yeah, incredible, like, too, like, the extent to which people don't even recognize within his ideology that in defense of, like, these purported, like, enlightenment ideals, it goes so quickly down an authoritarian path that, like, you would think that people would notice something like that immediately. Like, okay, well why in the defense of free speech am I going to curtail somebody's uh, ability to like express their their gender identity as they define it for themselves? That should be basic, like, you know, if you're talking about like just negative rights, like self-ownership over your own identity should be crucial to that. But for some reason, uh, people fail to recognize the fact that their, uh, their embrace of like authoritarianism in the quote unquote defense of these enlightenment values uh, is what like spurs the erosion of those same values. I don't know. Like Ben, no, like like Ben, like what you're saying is so true. It's kind of like when I do it, it's it's pure individualism, right in line with Western ways of thinking. When you do it, it's collectivism. So when you're right. expressing your own gender identity, how that's not individualistic at all. You're just a slave to collectivism, and <laughs> I must stop you at all costs. <laughs> oh my god! And it's, and it's also for some reason not how dare collectivism you not when they're. It's for some reason not collectivism for them to refer to like this made up uh, Western civilization concept where like every country in Europe that was fighting against each other up until about like 70 years ago is somehow part of a contiguous uh, historical construct that has always existed and always will continue to exist as long as we are willing to nuke the Middle East to defend it or something. It is such a, (laughs) it's such a heinous betrayal of like basic history. It almost goes down to like brown people invading the white people areas. It almost always dissolves. Yeah. Yeah, It's like the Middle Easterns are coming. The Ottomans are invading. They're crossing the streets. I mean, we saw that, we saw that at one point with the rhetoric around like, what do they call it? The migrant caravan. It's like, oh, there are Middle Easterners in it. Like no 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 just pepper some in just pepper some in no matter what's track. happening yeah, yeah. yeah. like I, I'm expecting the next caravan to be like there's Antifa there's Islamic terrorists uh, a, a yeah. transgender uh, you know because you know Islamic terrorists and transgender activists get along well, so sir, so if there's, well. if there's one thing that Hezbollah likes more than um, more than trying to take over Lebanon it is it's transgenderism which is an ideology by the way it's not like you know somebody's like God well you know, just their right to like express their their true selves. It's a uh, it's an ideology. It was created by George Soros. It's bank bankrolled by some organization, probably in Brussels or Paris, somewhere where they speak French. And uh, it's, <laughs> it was purpose made to destroy the United States. <laughs> but you know, and the thing is, it's like the actors of Marxism or socialism, who things were you know really developed in the West, are not part of the West. Like the West is only this really white conservative status quo ideology that every single conservative white status quo person always agreed with. And anything that even criticizes it from the fucking West is not actually a Western idea. And it's extremely infuriating. I, I and know, they never like, even coming from like the belly of the empire of like the German empire. Like it's just, I just find it funny. It's like, we take all these German ideas and we're like, love it, love it. Race science, love it. Big fan. Uh, eugenics. Oh yeah. Let's get it in here. But then it's like Marxism. 
oh shit like like don't you know we it's, sent it's that guy on a, yeah, yeah we sent yeah it's bolshevik we sent that guy on a train all the way to the east and he ruined <laughs> a, a perfectly good monarchy yeah. we, um, what was it we even do it in the united states with like talk about like the revolutionary war some of the key thinkers in the american revolution like you hear people talk all the time about like common sense with thomas Paine or something i have not once heard a conservative like uh name check like agrarian justice or anything else the guy has written it's like because the whole embrace of like the french revolution the whole embrace of the idea of like a quasi proto-socialist uh ideal with like land ownership and stuff is just ignored because it doesn't comport to like this ideologically pure fabricated history and uh you know yeah. like you said with marx as a result i'm i'm it's pretty like, sure take down point. take take the take the useful bits that somehow justify what we're doing but anything that says it looks remotely uh, at odds what we know oh, that that's foreign and that's like not part of it obviously but, I, yeah. i'm surprised at this point that mo more conservative or no, they probably do just assume that, like, Karl Marx is, like, Russian or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they probably do. Like, they probably think, like, like oh, he was, like, yeah. uh, one of the horse riders in, like, you know. He was, he was Rasputin's yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Just emerged from some, like, bog near, like, Krasnoyarsk or something. Seeped well, up out like, of there's the truth is, the truth like, is, like, they just go anti-Semitic they, they anti about Karl Marx. But, yeah. but the oh, thing yeah, about that's true. But the thing about the Russians is that the thing about the Russians is the Russians are kind of embraced nowadays as like the super right. Okay, but we need to talk about this idea that we basically allocate positions of power in society by competence because this is extremely crucial that hold they, on, they on, believe uh, in this. We still yeah. have to get through the other rule. Oh, so sorry, sorry, I'm getting excited. Oh, yeah. Okay, shit, yeah, we know, st we're yeah. we're I, still. I oh god, yeah. it's I so meaty. I, I feel like I have to be the Jordan Peterson authoritarian here, you know, keep us on track, but, you know, because Ryan might, you know, have any of his free thought ideas. Can't have that. Good. You're a good so, domino. Top. You're a good domino with the whip. Thank you. Top. I appreciate it, so, Anthony. So, so we're rule five and uh, uh, rule five. Um, which one was rule five again? Uh, rule five, kid. beat your kid. And then rule six. Beat your kid, especially if he's transgender. Gender. And and then six, which is the other one that is like super fucking like terrible, is the idea that you have to set your house in perfect order before you perfect. criticize the perfect. world. Perfect. Like, it sounds like a recipe to make sure that nothing ever changes because no human being is perfect. And if you spend your entire life working to better yourself and never care about outside, one, you're not going to change the world. And two, it means that like if the world is causing par any part of your problems, you're going to have those problems indefinitely. Yeah, so tell that to a North Korean. Tell them that and the reason why they're not economically mobile is because of them not cleaning that carpet stain in their house. You know, it's, it's purposely designed to fight collectivism of any kind of organization and say, and listen, everybody feels insecure about themselves. Everybody feels like they are not doing the most optimal thing for their career at the moment. And there's things they could be doing, ways of bettering themselves. And the idea is kind of like what, uh, what you know, what's capitalist logic 101. If you are greedy and you enrich yourself, it's going to make everybody else richer, right? So if you just work on yourself and you, you be as greedy as possible, through that action, it's going to, make everybody else better. It's kind of like the Protestant ethic, and it does bring back the, uh, the, the what Chomsky used to call the spirit of the age in 1950, like forget all but self, but enrich oneself. It's like as long as you're enriching yourself, everybody benefits. And obviously it's not fucking true. If that were true, we would be living in a capitalist utopia since the 70s because that's exactly what they've been drum beating into everybody's head for the last 40 years was that, you know, be greedy, focus on yourself, don't worry about 
unions, about collective, everything is temporary, including your McDonald's job. That's all going to end. You're, you're going to join the billionaire ranks any second. Don't worry about it. You know, you're a special, special boy that's going to be welcomed to the millionaire society. And so and don't unionize, not collectivize. What I find funny, too, is I feel like Jordan Peterson would agree with us in that no one is perfect. So, like, I, I would love to hear his response, how he justifies, uh, you know, keep your place in perfect order before you criticize the world. Like, like, does he think his life is perfect? I don't know. Like, yeah, because he I doesn't even like, tend to follow this rule. I it's, know. Like, you know, I'm sure he would say someone addicted to benzos probably doesn't have their life in order. I think I'm I, I'm all for, uh, you know, helping people re- rehabilitate. But you can't just come out here and say, like, you can't have opinions if you're you a piece of shit. But somehow Jordan Peterson is allowed to have his opinions. Like, no, no, oh. no, no. Rights for me, but not for thee. Well, that's specifically what uh, I would say what his defense would look like in this case. So when you see how he defends that, it would be him saying, I'm not trying to change the world. I'm just trying to protect it from the change of like the wow. terrible, like bad, you know, like people who also don't have their lives in order. So it, the ideology allows it for his form of activism, which is like heavily traditionalist, leans quite conservative. And it allows him to do that while breaking his own rules, but providing a set of rules for his opponents to meet that are impossible to meet, no matter how well you do it. Like if, if you have a successful life, if you have a successful job, if you own your home, if your house is in order, oh, you haven't had a family yet. Maybe like that way you can't criticize like any way, like schools are set up because you don't have skin in the game. Oh, like, do you have like a, a loving family? Are you the top of y- your company? Oh, then you clearly are haven't success. Like that way, like anything that is a personal failing, they will use or he will use specifically as a way to say that your opinions are not justified and not valid. And it turns out if you only listen to the people who are at the top of society or the most powerful in society, they're not going to want society change because it directly benefits them to keep the exactly. system as is. I can, and I can, also I can, a um, lot of that. Oh, sorry. Go on. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can just imagine Joe Pearson riding as a horse. Uh, back in the medieval ages and find like a peasant shoveling shit and he's like don't criticize the lord that's not why you're not the lord i mean you could be one too if you just worked extra hard so focus yeah, on tilling the field earned his position, <laughs> yeah he did and he really does care about you and you know and obviously and obviously the position of being a lord is completely up for grabs if you just you know focus on yourself more it can happen yeah. oh, it's right how, how it's much like, i understand I understand you're okay. the Lord is fucking your wife right now, but you don't understand. He earned the the no. moment to sleep with your wife because you don't have your, you didn't clean your bedroom. You didn't clean your bedroom, you know? Yeah. So that's why yeah. the Lord has rights to your wife. But it's I funny. would, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Ben, go, Ben, go. Ben, go. It's, it's funny how, how deeply ingrained this whole like anti-change or stat, like pro status quo aesthetic. It's like baked into their, uh, even their invention of like their adversaries and stuff. Cause it's, it's about like either in the racial context there, it's about like the demographic shifting with the influx of, of a new group, which has been happening like fucking forever. It does like, that's not a new thing that happened either the arrival of refugees or immigrants or whoever else, but it's, it constantly gets recycled as this, like it it's contrary to the status quo or even now with like, I guess on a, well, it's not really a racial uh, lens, but like the the misogynistic and transphobic way that they will describe like SJWs. It's I. It's usually like a college age female. They get depicted as being like uh, overweight, or they have like some shock of like dyed hair or something. Which like one, even if that's true, it's completely immaterial to their value as a human being. 
but it's also just like creating an archetype of their adversary to apply to a blanket group that uh you know is probably very diverse and it reinforces those kind of like misogynistic or in the case of something like the the transgender uh uh or the fight for transgender rights it gets employed like oh there are going to be these like you know bearded men pretending to be women breaking into the bathroom to like molest kids or something it's it's just taking like a really grotesque uh stereotype and applying it to the, the blanket group as a means of uh not only like fighting their arguments but also dehumanizing them so that the the followers feel free to engage in this kind of rhetoric and these kind of actions because they conceptualize them as less than like a full citizen or a full uh human being deserving of respect and rights Absolutely. And then bringing up specifically what Ryan said earlier about how if you just work hard enough, you can also become a lord. In a lot of ways, Peterson goes further than that in saying that you can't become a lord. So the best thing you can do is really just to try to be the best serf you can be. Like that's mm -hmm. part of his competence hierarchy is that it really doesn't lead to a lot of chance for upward mobility. Because he's, his idea is, hey, things are already where they should be. The competent structure is already in place. So you should really just do the best with, with where, wherever you find yourself. And that's somewhat times motivating because if I just need to be told to get my ass out of bed and go to work and like, you know, make money so I can pay my rent and you know have a decent life, that can be somewhat helpful. But it sort of puts in this idea that there is a natural biological hierarchy for human beings in our society that can make make or break your life. If you're a sad boy and you're failing at life, it's probably because you have a weak chin and you can't, <laughs> you know, you, you just don't have the right level of, of testosterone inside your body that's that would make you a Chad Alpha. And that's really damaging to a lot of people, even though it provides them a temporary comfort. Like I would, I can see how it's a sort of shot chaser situation where, where he says, hey, no matter where you find yourself, you should try and do your best. But then, like he slips in at the end, yeah. But some most times, your best isn't enough, and it's not, and you're never going to be enough. And like you should just, you know, work and and die because life is suffering. So the best thing you can do is, you know, be the best worker be you can. Because if you were going to be an alpha lobster, you would have been, you would have been born an alpha lobster. And I think that's extremely interesting because it really does uh, move away from the traditional conservative thinking of like work hard, you can get there. I think with with what like Piketty is basically saying, the income mobility ladder is is it's going away. The ability for a working class kid to join the, let's say, uh, the upper echelons of societies, it's ever diminishing. And this is kind of like a reflection of the new conservatism. It's basically, yeah, it's true. This is happening. You have no chance of ever becoming rich. Just recognize that and be happy with shoveling shit. And that's all you're ever going to get. Don't think about collective organization. Be happy. And the problem with this is just, you know, just to get into a little bit of the facts here is that. There is no evidence to suggest that biological determinism determines who has power in society. I mean, economists spend a considerable amount of time looking at things like rent-seeking and uh, groups using their power and privilege to extract as much wealth from the government to give them uh, to create this hierarchy. So it's not based, and it's not even based on IQs. And his idea that okay, I mean, there's so much to unpack here, but just to start off with. Oxfam. Oxfam released a paper that came out saying 85% of the global wealth that's produced is produced by rent-seeking. And what rent-seeking means is that people with political power are using their hands to, uh, to alter the levels of power and give them money from the government. 
That's not because they're super competent. That's just because they're corrupt and they're connected. It has nothing to do with competence. It has to do with them agreeing to all be corrupt and enrich themselves. And this is followed off by... And even I would even say that that paper is probably wrong because they use Forbes as a list. And the problem with Forbes is that Forbes is extremely self-selecting in that they mostly like to show people who are entrepreneur and put them on the list. They ignore people who inherit their wealth as much as power to kind of give you the veneer of a society that has a meritocracy to the top, which doesn't exist. You know, Forbes, that's the problem with that. And even the idea that, you know, his idea that, oh, IQs can't leave, so you kind of biologically determine, is complete rubbish and bullshit. There's not a single uh, IQ test, uh, you know, study or so, uh, will we'll agree with that. I mean, James Flynn famously wrote a uh, paper and later published a book about how even people's IQs uh, sh are shaped and it can c increase or decrease depending on their environments. They're not stagnant and they are constantly moving. If you go out and you read more books and you solve more abstractions and you work on your cognitive ability, your IQ will go up. It, you know, and, and and I can get so hardcore into IQ science, but just there's but there's no factual empirical basis that justifies that there is any kind of meritocratic uh, competent society that says you have an IQ of 150, you will get the CEO position. You have an IQ of one. It, 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 there's no evidence to to bear any of that out. And you know, and and the final point here is that it's kind of an anti-diversity hire argument. It's like okay, the everybody, the, your boss is your boss because he's smarter than you. And including a person because of skin color, or if you see a skin color higher or a gender higher, that's artificially fucking up the meritocratic competent society that we all agree exists. So that's why they can defend the status quo and say that any kind of inclusion of affirmative action or trying to remedy any past uh, uh, inequality by, you know, by fixing that by including more diversity in any positions of power is completely against the competent society that he says exists without producing any evidence. But you're right in that he says that he has to maintain that veneer. Like you have to buy into the idea that society is competence-based and the hierarchies are competence-based for the worldview to work out. If he let any crack in the armor show, if he said, hey, uh, if any, like anyone can succeed, but there, it seems weird that only a certain type of people succeed much more often. And they will give you anecdotal like uh, situations of, like, oh, here's a black billionaire. Here's a single black president. Here's a single woman billionaire. Here's, they show you that, again, because we live in a complex human society with millions, if not uh, you know, billions of people, that there are always going to be exceptions to rules. But if he lets any sort of thing slide that this system is not the best it can possibly be right now, he's opening the door to criticism. And he's really, this ideology is trying to shut down all forms of criticism, yes. whether it's saying, and that's the most frustrating thing because it seems, as you so like what eloquently explained earlier, that hierarchy, like is a lot of times it's random. It's based on like how you were born. I giving like a number to this, like to the stuff you were talking about. I believe if you're in the lowest quintile of wealth in America, you have a 35% chance of dying in a higher quintile. But if you're at the top, you have like a 70% chance of maintaining in the top. So it's almost like the bottom and the top are self-determinate. And it's been shown that in any place, it's easier, with the exception of the top bracket, it's easier to fall than it is to rise in American society. It's harder now to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that's why uh, I would say modern conservatism has altered itself from the bootstraps work hard to 
go higher on the rung to just saying the rung is settled. We've set the rung in stone. Yes. Now the best you can do is to be the best part of the rung of the ladder you you are. Like you you're now fused to your rung. Just be the best rung because now social mobility doesn't really work. Having a extremely socially mobile society implies. Like would lend more credence to his argument if he supported a system where people were constantly changing up and down the hierarchy through generations. That would be one thing, but he doesn't do that because he, I believe, he's smart enough to understand that our society self-selects, and that if you're poor, you don't have resources to become wealthy, and if you're wealthy, you have the resources to most likely make sure that you don't become poor. But if he acknowledges those inequalities, those inefficiencies inside the system as anything other than a extremely necessary evil. Then he he loses all bases. So he can't. He refuses to even have that conversation because he knows if he has the conversation, he gives up the entire game. So he sticks to orthodoxy. Yeah, it's so crucial. It is so crucial for him to win on that argument, and he can't let any chinks in the armor because the whole thing comes, you know, tumbling down. And that um that that rhetoric does leak into public discourse as well. I mean, if you look at um, I think probably two of the best examples: the treatment of Alexander Ocasio Cortez and Ilhan Omar in public public discourse. I mean, if you if you take a purely meritocratic look at their cases, uh, a woman who went from being a bartender to a congresswoman before the age of 30, a Somali refugee who came to the United States, embraced damn near close to like whatever you can call the American dream at this point to rise through the level of like uh, Minneapolis politics, become a congresswoman as well. That those are incredible stories, and those could be touted as a as an embrace of meritocracy. But so many times, what you end up seeing instead is uh, people dismissing AOC as like, oh, well, she was just a bartender. Like, what expertise does she have? Which I mean, if you she is infinitely more impressive than like your run of the mill representative in the in in the House right now. Or it also gets applied with a uh, with a, a much more racially and uh, religiously divisive lens in the case of Ilhan Omar as well, where it's like, oh, you have the audacity to come to the United States and criticize the United States for its shortcomings, just like after having, you know, supposedly benefited from it. Like, I'm not saying that uh, she hasn't benefited from being here, but at the same time, the things she's identifying are not particularly radical. She's not saying burn down the United States, yeah. but it's made out to be that way because they can put over that lens of a woman of color, particularly a Muslim woman who, uh, you know, is w willing to speak out, embrace the full rights of like being a person in this country to make the country a better place. But instead, she's demonized as uh, either anti-Semitic or anti-American, anti-patriotic. Uh, or whatever conspiracy theory gets thrown on top. Sorry, a little bit of a... No, no, it's fantastic because it's so true. It's like even the Colin Ka Kaepernick stuff. It's like, oh my God, you got you made so much money here. Shut the fuck up and play football. Don't, how dare <laughs> yes, you? Exactly. How dare you criticize anything? It's like only we get to raise the Confederate flag and say we're going to succeed from the Union and this country is, should go to hell. But as soon as anybody else expresses their First Amendment rights, you guys should just, especially if you're a minority, God shut forbid. Up, yeah, yeah, shut the... Yeah, yeah shut the I, hell. I also think it's important to note. Uh, uh, basically, I just love if you just look at what are the comments that get circled around. Is is it purely coincidence that the only Congress members that get told go back to your country also happen to be brown women? 
Like, does that have yeah. any, like, oh, interesting. That must That's, be a coincidence. Wow, well, yeah. Weird. Weird how the only people that we use these racially charged words for is, like, uh, uh, these women that look different from us. Man, like, mm, strange coincidence. I'm sure they're just, you know, it, I, I'm sure it was purely coincidental. They didn't mean it. You know, they weren't thinking that. They're not racist. Uh, Joe so County, it, back to County Cork. Yeah, I, I, like, I feel like... Like, I, I really feel like the actions are so loud right at this very moment where it's almost like like that. I feel like that's almost why QAnon is coming out. Me and Ryan have talked about this before, where all these conspiracy theories are becoming mainstream because it's like you have to be crazy to believe the dream right now because it's so not like like the crony capitalism like you talk to any economic professor or whatever they all know it's crony capitalism we know that raytheon and all these uh uh weapons manufacturers that they, they donate the they do spend the most in lobbying in congress uh why is it that the, the companies that have the best connections in congress oh happen to get the best contracts and they happen to like and and it was funny because like uh sometimes i like to argue my point to use the arguments from the other side. So like, let's look at Hunter Biden. So uh, like, I am 100% voting for Joe Biden. I'm not happy about it, but I, I am going to. But if we look at Hunter Biden, oh wow, Hunter Biden, you know, he, he, he's, he's head of the uh, uh, board for a oil company because you know, Hunter Biden has so much experience speaking the Ukrainian language and uh, running an oil company. Yes, has no connection to the fact that his father was the vice president or him being in charge of uh, one of those credit card companies in Delaware, the home state, the state that its whole economy is credit card companies trying not to pay enough ta to pay too much in taxes. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, no, it's just Anthony making an excellent point. It's kind of like why a lot of people on the right absolutely despise Hillary Clinton is because they think she's getting her job not through meritocracy, but because of cronyism. It's like they, there is an understanding that that's how society is. And I think that it's kind of destroying our fabric. And I think the important thing to know here is that in, in the entirety history of the planet, okay, this kind of income mobility and idea of going from a working class person to an upper echelon, you know, uh, of society has only existed in a very small space. And that was really post New Deal America. And that was only even for a very small percent of the population. Obviously, that wasn't open for a lot of minorities to climb those ladders. But conservative society or economics has never produced an economic policy that allows economic mobility. As soon as conservatives get the rings of power, it usually is about pulling up the ladder and making it harder for poorer people to come. And they do that through making school, uh, you know, you have to personally take out loans for school. You have to um, it, you get even more credential for jobs. As any of you can tell us, it's like we're the most credential generation. I mean, I'm probably a generation over you guys. I'm like a millennial. I think you guys are Zoomers. But Team for me... Team Ruby Zooming. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's like the amount of credentials and certifications we have to get is so much higher than any previous generation because that's all part of lifting up the ladder and making it harder for people to enter fields. Even tenureship is going away. You have to be adjunct professors. You know, in every single area, though, even in law firms, for God's sake, they're even making two levels of partners, one that's basically a partner in name, only one that's actually a managing partner. Because the ladder keeps being lift up. And you know what the thing is, and the truth is, in the end, uh, what's going to happen is this is like what Yenis Varoufakis says. You can only make people hate people for so long. And after a bit, they're going to figure out that hating people doesn't make them richer. 
you know, it doesn't actually help them with their economic, uh, well, unless they go and steal all the terror, the stuff like what happened in Nazi Germany. But generally speaking, hating people won't make them richer. And the thing is, I think that's why we're seeing a resurgence of lefty po- uh, politics, because we're recognizing we need to make an economic mobile system to exist. So there's a little bit of a rant there. Ryan, I have to push back a little bit, though. I personally am very excited for the Uberization of medicine, where I can I can ride hail my doctor to come give me my immunizations or remove my uh, my tumor. I think that that's the future. How do I know if my doctor is trustworthy if he doesn't have perfect fives on the app? I'm just saying, like, we got to think about this critically here. Even even taxi uh, even taxi drivers are losing their middle class status because of Uber. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Uber's operating at a loss just to, like, destroy the taxi industry before it <laughs> displaces it and it becomes the new taxi industry. I know, and they yeah. explain this as, like, you know, like, oh, no, this is actually great. And, like, I feel like choice, like, they always use the word choice to say anything that's, like, actually bad. It's like, no, 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 you understand, it's good because, like, you know, Uber, you get to choose when you work because, you know, working it's at a, a normal economy. job is so impressive. Yeah. So you get to choose when you work. Never mind that you don't get the same rights or any of the really the privileges and you get paid far less and you're just at the whim of other people, essentially. Uh, But, you know, it's also interesting with like uh, like the way we calculate the unemployment numbers. A lot of people argue about the unemployment because it's like almost always it's like it's almost like unemployment doesn't shift, even though like we know the economy is crashing down around us right now. And somehow it's like, oh, unemployment's still like five percent or seven percent. Beautiful. But it's like if you look at how we calculate some of these numbers, you find that like, oh, a lo- they decided like, OK, we can't keep counting people that uh are are stopped looking for a job because you know these people are like permanently unemployed we'll have to kick them out of the statistics otherwise people will find out like oh my goodness like is real unemployment really like 20 percent or is there really that many people not working right now underemployment too right yeah exactly like if you work one hour it's like boom you're employed like boom (laughs) that you're like american dream boom you you made five dollars you sold a painting boom employed you're living the american dream yeah. I would say, like, all of you are right in that, but I'd like this pushback specifically on Ryan in that I, people can only be angry for so long before they realize it doesn't, like, make them richer. I'm quite hesitant that we're, we're going to live past that period. Do you know what I mean? In the sense mm-hmm. that we've riled up these, like, certain populations so much that they're not just going to turn around. Like, you see a huge amount of radicalism, the stochastic terrorism of white nationalism, and, and, and like, that entire ideology and it's a bit of a meme uh on the left i know we're, we're like oh like guys we're gonna have like 15 minutes of fascism then we're gonna get over with and, like have like a nice social democracy mm-hmm. but in a lot of ways there is a we talk about power a lot and how different uh just like whether it's you know uber uh bright pricing out its competitors by like setting price floors so goddamn low but also in terms of political power if these people or say specifically like right-wing uh, traditionalists or these right-wing demagogues keep pushing this sort of rhetoric to make people angrier and angrier, the tipping point often won't be those people waking up and realizing how awful the system like is that's oppressing them. It's them going to go over the tipping point and in, into committing like active uh, violent acts towards the people that they have been told have been the demonization. Like it's not, I, I, I'd say I'm more pessimistic in terms of how, they will respond right where they're not going to say oh like trump was wrong it's time to you know revitalize embrace the left yeah okay yeah, like yeah but yeah. i would say that there's a like okay like i agree with you right there's always going to be a segment of the population who just doubles down 
They're like, oh, okay, I guess we're not sufficiently racist enough. <laughs> we need to be more, and then it will work. And it does, but I would say that there's like a, like, I would say the Overton window of society is a little bit moving to the left. You're seeing even like more mainstream, like, look at Richard Wolf rising. There is more popularity to left wing ideas, the rise of Chapo, things like this 10 years, 20 years ago would never even exist. You know, so I would like to say, like, maybe I would argue that there is a bigger base of the population that's starting to recognize that, okay, you know, this free market capitalism society shit's not really working. And we need to start thinking about, like, doing regulations and actually intervening. Uh, but I do want to, you know, I think we talked a lot about Jerome Pearson, but there is one thing that none of us mentioned. And I was hoping that one of you would have an opinion on his weird food diet. Now, a listener actually asked us yeah. to bring this up. Oh, gosh. It, it's all meat, right? So yes. it's all beef. One type of meat. Oh, oh gosh, one type. That sounds so boring. So I know, uh, Jesus, I can't imagine what is like that. Like, like, uh, right? Like, 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 oh gosh, like a ah, just you know, like, like <laughs> he just goes through so much toilet paper. He's just like oh, another um twenty four pack of uh, a triple fly for Jordan Peterson household. <laughs> no, right? Like cleaning the pipes I, again. We gotta fix them. You know, we have a lot of issues with the Jordan Peterson household. If he hasn't upgraded like the gauge on the pipes for his like household plumbing, I don't know how his house is like structurally sound at this point. He's like, or, or if he he's, doesn't like, randomly spent slugs. I know, like he doesn't randomly shit himself just like walking. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine just eating beef, like just red. Right, like I don't, I don't know how his body has adapted to like that level of like fat and protein without like any sort of fiber inside of it like i, I just yeah, don't how the guy from like fucking into the wild died he was just eating lean protein and then his body like you can't break down protein at a certain point without carbs or fat or something yeah and that's like i i have i have a bit of experience in terms of like self-nutrition stuff i'm a big exercise fanatic and right now i have a really minimalist diet but even inside of that i think i eat like eight things right now it's i eat avocados sweet potatoes uh beef chicken cheese and like fiber and granola and apples and between that and multivitamins i have like way like enough nutrients but even but when even if you have a minimalist diet you have to be like cognizant of like what you're missing like what doesn't go in there and like beef has so many holes like it's a super nutritious like like meat like of course but there's so many holes in like terms of what you need if he's not like actively like injecting supplements like directly into his veins the dude's gonna die and that might be why he you know, felt so shitty and started doing he's doing getting better. really yeah he's been getting really sick like he was in a serbian hospital for like coronavirus for like what two weeks or like a month or something i, I i'm really worried that he's gonna die very soon like legit like i'm wondering if we gotta I mean, rush this I mean, episode I mean, out pray, praise allah let's hope so but <laughs> oh i God. do want to say <laughs> jeez <laughs> no 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 political violence even if it was coronavirus is it political violence if someone doesn't like think corona exists and they die from it is that just like it's, it's the I know her political suicide. <laughs> oh yeah, and what about his relationship with his daughter? And as far as like his like manager of his life and like organizing all this stuff, what, what is? I know. Like... I thought the dad was supposed to be in charge. And yeah, for some reason, his female daughter, you know, it's cracking the whip. Like, uh, well, she... you eat your red beet. And he's like, yes, yes, daughter. Yes. Yeah, he well, she eats the beef, so he has no reason to hate her. It's all good. <laughs> Rule five okay. has not been violated. Well, um, and, and her her situation is perfect now, so he has to listen to her because her she's cleaned her room and his room is dirty exactly. right now. So he must listen well, to her. He, he says you can't. You know, there's a lot of studies that actually suggest that uh, if you give money to poor people and you give them to it in a monthly, like constantly, every single month, 
uh, routinely. They actually will kick bad habits, quit drugs, and eat healthier, live healthier lives, and actually take part in society more because it's actually like a base level of dignity that people do need before they can be feel free enough to have a decent life. And he actually argues if you give money to poor people, they will misuse it and take drugs. There's no real evidence to support any of this, but it is what he says. And the funny thing is he's been given money and he did take drugs. <laughs> and, you know, he, he doesn't see that. I think that's also why he disappeared because it's such a... You know, he's not following his own rules. Yeah, dictates. I think well, the like, big thing also speaks to a uh, an interesting tendency with him because he he follows very closely in the grifter tradition to the snake oil, oil salesman of old. But he's very similar now in his public persona to like a Dr. Oz type figure, too, just for, you know, the intellectual dark web or whatever the hell it's called now, because his whole book is just relying on his academic credentials to cover up the fact that he's just engaging in sophistry. And sometimes just like even worse, it's not even like based on like something logical like eating beef as your only source of nutrition is fucking psychotic that's a that's a weird thing to do but he he touts like these phony like scientific benefits and that was something that i noticed throughout the whole thing he just tries to keep reinforcing to his reader no like i legitimately am the smartest person that could be teaching you this stuff i am i have the most upvoted answer on quora in <laughs> history oh i saw that so oh my God. Yeah. He, calls, he calls the introduction the overture like i wanted to die the moment i saw that and then <laughs> even if you go look at what his uh who writes the uh the preface to the book it's another psychologist from canada who like is also trying to grift like he has like this weird theory about like playing specific sounds for kids to cure autism or something oh, wow. it's just this like weird community of people who have realized that because like most social science isn't like ever uh, replicated you can basically just use an academic credential once you gain it to masquerade as like That'll... this like soothsayer or something i i almost wonder if like uh i i would love to ask jordan peterson how he um attaches the uh, the tube straight to his anus and, you know, gets it directly into <laughs> <to> cover <laughs> his mouth, you know, for him to just keep smelling his own farts. Like, wait, that's the, that's the secret for the beef. He, he can oh, he, he wants to smell it. Yeah, he, he, keeps, uh, he keeps circulating it through his system, you know, kind of like an economy. <laughs> he's trying to adapt himself. He just keeps he's his own shits and just yeah, smells a... it, and he's like, I am the smartest person here. I am Jordan Peterson. And he says, like, if, and, if, and if you see any information that disproves anything I say, that's all cultural Marxist Bolshevik <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> no, 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 but... I... Yeah. Okay. yeah. But 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 actually, but actually though, when you when you when you say it, I think part of aside from you know not not knocking social psychologists like therapy is super yeah. important. I think that's helpful. But you really see in his books and his like his political talk just how out of like depth he is in terms of these concepts that he's trying to explain. He has to simplify everything into order and chaos, and order is good, and I'm order, so that's good, and they're chaos, so that's bad. But when he he like you like you just said like his com his most common insult for the left or for anyone that he describes in general is that they're a postmodern neo Marxism, uh, neo Marxist. But those two ideologies, postmodernism and Marxism, don't agree. Marxism is a modernist theory about seizing the means of production for like regular people, and everyone like you know it's sort of like everyone owns everything together collectively. Where postmodernism is the idea that all the different uh, theories of history, whether it's class struggle, whether it's racial struggle, none of them are real and everything is subjective. But those things can't exist together because postmodernism directly contradicts Marxism. So you have yeah, you this, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's like, sorry. I was just gonna say like, yeah, you can't really like reconcile a radically materialist philosophy with a radically socially constructivist the or uh, philosophy. 
Yeah, there's, but none of his, none of his like specifically yes. like the people who love him can, can you know call bullshit on that. So they and they think anyone who is is part of the problem, right? Once you've immediately discredited anyone who could possibly criticize you, suddenly no one can criticize you anymore, and then you say shit like that, and that's dangerous because you've injected like words into the lexicon and ideas that literally don't make sense. And this is part of why it's so hard to have a dialogue, especially between say like the right. And the left, not saying we should you know, lock arms, but like it's impossible to talk to the, specifically his fanboys because they live in a fantasy land where they will call you a postmodern neo-Marxist not knowing what that is. They like say, oh, Marxism is bad and postmodernism is bad. So together it has to be like, you know, quintuple bad. It's like a super saiyan bad. But like it's not like it's impossible to have that conversation because they are so able to disparage anything you can say or they can completely ignore anything you're trying to tell them because he's so perfectly uh, placed his theory and his like like idea ideology of how the world works into two concrete camps. And once you have that level of disparity between order and chaos, there's no in between. There's no gradients. There's success and there's failure. There's you know good successful people and there's and there's unsuccessful bad people. At that point, you can't have a dialogue. These people are almost unless you agree with them, it's impossible to talk to them because they will just say that everything you say is bullshit. Everything you say is neo-Marxism. Like, of course, like biological essentialism is important. Like, I can't succeed because you know I'm short and I have a thin frame, and women don't like me because my face is too feminine. I don't have a heavy enough brow, and because they like think of chat. Yeah, we're just too chat. There's the chat energy of this podcast is just too fucking high. Like, if any soy boy listened to this, he would immediately burst into flames as the Here's beef explode from all this masculinity I'm using. Uh, hey guys, we're, we're actually uh, gonna go uh, towards wrapping it up. But before we wrap it up, uh, and before you guys plug your stuff, uh, I was wondering, uh, like, is there any, like, final points, or is there any, like, little Jordan Peterson quotes you like? And, and I'll start off with, like, uh, I just found it weird when I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with Jordan Peterson, and, like, he said something about Adolf Hitler, and he was explaining about how, like, you know, oh, Hitler was a very clean person, and he didn't, you know, he didn't <laughs> like, you know, bugs Kill and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't, he didn't like dirtiness, and he viewed the Jews as dirty. And I'm not saying kill the Jews, but you know, Adolf Hitler. When I'm trying to explain why he did this thing, he wasn't doing it because he was hateful. He was doing it, you know, just because like he didn't like dirty things, and Jews are dirty, so he killed them all. Like you know, it was very weird. Very Holy shit! Weird. Very weird. Yeah, I I don't know why he even brought it up because it was a very weird thing to say. Playing fits with uh, the right. Yeah. yeah. Well, well that, that that's really common in the right in terms of like bad people versus good people, right? So I. I had a lot of conversations about, say, Kyle Rittenhouse or Breonna Taylor. And the right is always super quick to point out, hey, guys, like Rittenhouse has like amazing trigger discipline. Isn't that like astonishing for like a person? So whenever they see someone that they like, you know, tangentially agree with or like don't want people to view so negatively, they try and find aspects of their personality that like in a vacuum are, you know, admirable. Like discipline is cool. You know, being clean is nice. Knowing how to handle a gun is a useful quality but when you attach them to like either a mur like a shooter or a mass murderer like suddenly those qualities don't really fucking matter anymore but they're so like they always attempt to push that or and if it's, it's someone they disagree with oh brian taylor oh she she dated a criminal once and he might have done you know uh, activities outside of her apartment without with or without her knowledge, police aren't supposed to kill guilty people either. And if someone has, a, you know, a terrible, you know, personality defect, it doesn't mean they're not worthy of like human rights. But they are, there's always this attempted character assassination and character bolstering 
that doesn't really exist. But if you exist inside of Peterson's framework, it suddenly makes a lot more sense because suddenly everything is about the individual, whether it's like your capability, whether it's your personality. Oh, suddenly all these people have, that did terrible things. Personally, they could they were potentially quite admirable. They had admirable qualities. And other people who did like really amazing things, but they had negative qualities. Like, you know, MLK was a womanizer. He might have plagiarized his, you know, his uh, like doctoral speech or whatever the fuck you want to say about that. But these people who did amazing things, who had flaws, they made our world better. And the people who did terrible things, but, you know, had one or two random, like, you know, nice quirks were still monsters. But that's how the right wants to portray everything. It's this sort of cultural battle where, where we're the good people and we can explain all of our good qualities. And, ha and that makes us good. What we do doesn't make us good. What we are makes us good. That's this sort of biological essentialism. I'm good because I'm white. I'm good, I'm good because I'm clean. I'm good because I'm a man. I'm good because I'm at the top of the hierarchy. And anyone who tries to like you know attack that, that's extremely dangerous. Even someone, I would go as far to say that someone who's conservative, who believes in the old idea of you know success and self-discipline, to push yourself to greater heights, that would go against their ideology as well. If you have someone who says, I want to, I start at the bottom and I'm going to rise as high as I can. I will fly as high as possible. I will get to the top of the pyramid because I have the will. I have the grit. I'm not the smartest. I'm not you know, the best, but I do not give a fuck. I'm going to push myself to my absolute limits and I'm going to see where I, where I fall. That also contradicts them because they don't like that kind of idea. Because if you have that kind of idea, you might say, hey, if the system was a bit more fair, I might be able to rise higher. And then suddenly you go into any sort of tangential relationship to changing society. They cannot stand because they have to have those bred in institutions, whether it's chaos, whether it's God, whether it's order. If you don't have those, it's a house of cards and they fall to pieces. That's, that's mm. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Me, Ben? Uh, yeah, yeah, Ben, did you have any uh, uh, final points or any, you know, little Jordan Peterisms that you wanted to mention or anything like that? Make, yeah, make fun I of mean, the Kermit voice. Well, the Kermit voice is terrible, <laughs> but um, mine is not going to be nearly as intelligent as Hans's is. But um, one of the things that I noticed th uh, while I was like subjecting myself to his his work was he has a really weird aesthetic to the way that he conveys his ideas. And I, I, I almost don't want to talk about it because like, I think the aesthetics of like politics are very, um, very unimportant, but in his case, they're super funny because he'll write this like deep, deep tome with a bunch of like, just like useless name checks of like Faust or Dante's Inferno or something like that. Like, yeah, I read these books. I'm so good at Quora, which by the way, like if you actually, <laughs> vote answers on Quora. You don't deserve voting rights in this country. I'm <laughs> Good. I love the... We, we can bring some left-wing fascism in here, too. Yeah. Quora like is a stain on this society. But <laughs> irrespective of that, um, the uh, he'll he'll have these, like, dense tomes of, like, r slash I'm very smart sort of stuff with uh, all the academic jargon he can fit into a single paragraph possible. And then he'll end it with, like, an emoticon. He'll put a smiley face or something. Or like some sort of like weird thing where he just discovered that if you type colon parentheses, like, oh, it's a smiley face. And he does this not only in his written work, he does it in his like self-delusional like YouTube update videos too. The funniest Jordan Peterson video I found was him talking into a webcam. And the, like, the video is called like Surprise Christmas Gift or something, where a month before um, 12 Rules for Life came out, he told his followers who wanted to get this book for their friends or whatever as a gift because it's supposed to come out in like January that year, or the next year or something, was he uploaded 
the overture, like his his pretentious freaking introduction to the book, with a picture of himself and told them, you should print this off, put it in a manila envelope and give it to them as their gift to be like, bro, in in like a month, I'm going to get you a book. This is coming. I promise you. And he was delusional enough to think like this is a legitimately good idea. So, yeah, I've kind of said my piece on his politics. And I think Khan's did a much better job of uh, summarizing like the political implications of his ideas. I just think he's like a funny, delusional character as far as his like aesthetics go divorced from the content of his ideas. Well, uh, I would like to uh, thank both of our guests for coming on this episode. I think they added a lot, shed a lot of light to tackling this leviathan of a of, of a tome from God Himself. And I really appreciate it. I appreciate that. I think you guys, I think you guys should come back later uh, in a future episode and maybe talk a little bit about like the uh, the new uh, the new race realism bullshit that's been going on. Maybe link with that and Sam Harris and how they're both pimping that new like that's like the new idea. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add over here other than completely agree with what everybody said. I do like to say that he needs to be, I think he's starting to like, I think the problem is with the Reagan, the era of Reagan ending officially and the old ideas of liberalism and conservatism are, are basically running out. The fumes of the ideologies are running out. There needs to be a new ideology, like a new manifest destiny by the different uh, camps and i think pearson may be the first glimpse into what the future conservatives are going to be arguing when it comes to why we have no income mobility why we don't have these things so i think that's pretty much why we should be you know paying attention to him and see where it goes from here and how that ideology develops awesome very very well put you uh... oh anthony you sorry your mic is a little bit cutting i don't know if that's just on my end Hopefully, I am not cutting right now. So anyways, what we're going to do is, uh, Ben, I'm going to start with you because I know you don't have anything to plug, but do you have anything you want to Do you have anything you want to plug, Ben? Uh, I wrote an article uh, that was published last week in Current Affairs. It was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, other than that, really nothing. Just kind of keeping a low profile and waiting for uh, quarantine to end. Okay. okay, we'll put we'll put a link to the article on uh, on the bottom. Yeah, sure. And, and um, uh, Hans, uh, Hans, uh, would you like to? Would you like to plug anything, Hans? You goddamn right, I do. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hey everyone, I I really appreciate Anthony and Ryan for having me on. Uh, this was an amazing conversation, best conversation I've had in a long time, and. It, it's nice to have other people to talk to after screaming into the void on my YouTube channel for four months at this point. And I'm happy that uh, I found them and they found me. And this was really fun. And so if you want to uh, talk about books and listen to me rag on Peterson more or talk about really good books that uh, have a lot of fun, interesting ideas, not, not just for the left, but for intelligent people as a whole, I do reviews on books of economics and politics and history and philosophy on my channel, Hans of Harkir. You can find me there, and you can also find me at Hans of Harkir on Twitter. I have like six followers right now, but if you want to you know, help me get past there so I can actually start tweeting, that'd be awesome. 
Don't worry. Uh, we will work hard. I will, uh, maybe I'll retweet. No promises, but I'm, I'm the one in control of our Twitter account, so I'll maybe retweet yours. <laughs> I'll give you a shout-out. Maybe we can get one of my followers to follow you, and that would still be a win. Well, um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really a pleasure having you guys on. Uh, you guys were much bigger brain uh, than I am. I'm always talking with my small little people words. But I'm hoping that somehow I was able to help translate a little bit. But regardless, that's enough about me. Uh, no, you did pleasure. great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, so anyways, guys, this was Big Brain Chungus. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at Real Big Brain. Um, also, uh, we're on all, all if, if you don't like listening to us, wherever you're listening to us right now, we are on all podcast server, uh, services. So, uh, iTunes, Spotify, we're also on YouTube, uh, uh, big brain chungus on YouTube. And, um, we, we put some, uh, we plan on uploading some videos on there. And then also occasionally we, uh, stream on Twitch, which is also Ryan, what, what is, uh, what what is our Twitch name? At Real Big Brain. At Real Big Brain. Yes. At Real Big Brain. And sometimes I wear funny costumes and we play some games. It's a lot of fun. Um, so uh, we're, guys, we're doing a hearts. We're doing a hearts of iron stream. You sh- for the Cold War. You should uh, come and watch. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, guys, gentlemen, I think this is the time where we do that little like chatting and they like fade out and we're just like you know having a great time. Like, oh, they're friends. They like each other. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like.